0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Invisible Not Broken. I'm Eva, your co-host, and I interview practitioners with chronic illnesses. But actually today is a little bit different. I'm interviewing a practitioner, uh, but she doesn't have a chronic illness, but we are going to talk about uh, her experience with her daughter who had one. She is an integrative functional medicine board certified internal medicine physician. Yes, mouthful, but it basically just means that she is the real deal. She is smart, creative, kind, thinks outside the box, and she is so lovely. We hit it off immediately when we met and we weren't even meeting to talk about the podcast, but I I knew I had to have her on. And as I expected, this was a wonderful episode that I plan on revisiting myself again and again. So Sit tight and enjoy my conversation with Dr. Boyana Yankovic-Weatherly. Hello, Dr. Boyana. Lovely uh, to have you on the podcast today. I'm so excited.
1: Hi, it's so great to be here. And um, I'm so, so excited for the opportunity to um, chat with you today and um, and just absolutely love your podcast. I've been listening to it and and love the the messages that you're bringing out there to the world. So thank you. Mm
0: yeah wow thank you for that that's that's really wonderful to hear and i love how when we met uh mm-hmm. my intention was not actually to bring you onto the podcast i just wanted to <laughs> learn more about your work and then i was like oh my god this she <laughs> come on <laughs> um because you're you're just fabulous in so many ways um but yeah now let's let's let everyone else hear why you're fabulous uh so as always <laughs> i like to start with, uh, please tell us your story. In this case, it might be a little bit of a different story. Um, in whatever way you'd like to tell it uh, from your perspective as a physician and, and as a human.
1: Absolutely. Uh, so I'm going to share uh, my story as it relates to the way that we met and some of the things that we had talked about initially, because um, I think that... Um, one of the reasons why your story really resonated and um and this concept of of having this podcast where you openly talk about um you know your own condition other people's conditions and experiences as well as then our experiences as professionals is just so it's it's so important and not talked about enough Um, and i think that unfortunately there's there's so much judgment still from from all sides, and um, and it's really important to kind of let our guard down a little bit, and um, uh, and really be okay with with you know looking within, whether we're looking for answers for ourselves, um, whether uh, we're looking to help others, because I think that that just amplifies our effect on ourselves, our health, on the world, on the people that we touch and influence. Um, so. I'm a board-certified internist, as you know, but my path to becoming a fellowship-trained integrative medicine doctor and a functional medicine doctor was definitely not a straightforward one. And uh, when I was little, I didn't even really know what integrative and functional medicine um, were, nor that that's something that would just so deeply resonate with the core of my being. As my colleagues in uh, pre-med, I went into medical school thinking that I'm gonna change the world, I'm gonna help so many people. There are all these exciting tools and therapies that we can use um, to help people with certain illnesses and symptoms. And, um, and then going through the medical training and residency training and, and becoming a primary care physician, I found out that clearly I was very naive. And there were many conditions um, that were considered to be mysteries where we couldn't find the actual physical um, evidence of what exactly it is that needs to be repaired or what it is that's malfunctioning. And I found that time and time again, my colleagues and myself would see patients with a constellation of symptoms, whether they're fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue syndrome or depression or anxiety, or that we just couldn't get to the root of it. And unfortunately, pharmaceuticals were being, you know, handed out like candy, because there was just no better way that we were trained or, or thought to kind of think about these problems. And I had a big problem with that. Fundamentally, I just was not okay. I didn't feel that um, I could go on practicing like this. I think that there were a lot of very, very, very valuable um, lessons throughout my training and I'm so happy that I went the way that I did but I also knew that I needed to look for more answers and and get more information and really find a deeper way to help my patients by looking at the root cause and then looking at all the evidence-based modalities some of them which we learn about in medical school and residency training and some of which we don't learn about and we have no idea how to use them when to use them or even what to expect in terms of results and what I found was was the biggest thing as a, as that door kind of started to open for me is that that it gave me hope it gave my patients hope and I think that's really kind of one of the first things that just sort of opened my eyes and said okay you're going on this path there's no turning back and One of the things that, in in kind of reflecting back and thinking about, you know, how did I end up in integrative and functional medicine and get to do all these amazing things, um, is that I would say it probably starts, you know, probably started in my residency training when I decided in my uh, second year of residency training that I was ready to be a mom. And so I was pregnant and doing um, 30, 35 hour shifts sometimes working six days a week, um, 60 plus hours a week, uh, doing the best I could to take care of my body and protect my my growing baby, but not really having very much freedom in how I were to do that because of these hours and because I was taking care of very sick patients. And I loved, loved, love what I did. But I just reached this point of extreme fatigue, exhaustion, and guilt because I was supposed to be focusing my efforts on on the one hand helping people and being a stellar medical resident and on the other hand of growing this baby and giving it not only nutrients but love and support and calm and i was not i was anything but calm at that point (laughs) it's hard during residency it is it's a little hard um but at the same time, it was a decision that I'd made. And it was a conscious conscious decision that I uh, take ownership of. And I did the best I could in that situation. So I started taking up prenatal yoga. And that was kind of my first little glimpse of, oh, wow, look at what prenatal yoga does to my body and how I can visualize my baby and send my baby these amazing messages and massage the baby. and 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 it really started to kind of, open up this window a little bit of, okay, even in these, you know, very um, intense circumstances, we can create an environment for ourselves where we can feel empowered and where we can change the things that we're in control of, right? Because we're always going to have things that are beyond our control. And in fact, most things are beyond our control, whether it's natural disasters, whether it's our family or friends getting ill. beyond our control, actions of other people, judgments of other people beyond our control. But we can control how we respond to these experiences, and we can control our microenvironment and what we create during our time that's just for us. So again, that was just kind of a tiny little opening. I went on to complete my internal medicine residency, had my second child after that, and started practicing as an internist. and. As a mom who just started this practice as part of a medical group, I felt very much torn again. On the one hand, I was leaving my babies at home that needed me after about three months of mat leave um, each time, and feeling this immense guilt, and literally crying, like driving to work, and crying every morning, I would say for at least a, a couple of months. Um, Again, I still loved what I do, I was so, felt so lucky to be, I'm an internist, I get to do primary care, I actually get to help people, but I'm leaving these two babies at home. And I think that that kind of maybe, I don't know if I should call it disconnect or kind of these competing needs and desires and, and wanting to be everything to any, everyone Um, And wanting to do the best job that I possibly can in all these different areas of my life, I think ultimately just um, drove me towards um, burnout and to this kind of state of um, lack of joy and hopelessness that we we talked about just before we started recording, I think. Um, And that was a very, very difficult time. And I think it's interesting because especially as again, as a physician, and also the culture that I was brought up in, I'm originally Serbian, and we immigrated to Canada when I was 13. But the culture that I was brought up in, and then the, the, my professional culture, I felt very much like, nope, I'm not supposed to feel this way. Resist, 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 just keep working, keep doing this thing and keep doing. And I think that to the outside world, I, I don't think it was apparent at all, what was going on inside. But inside, it was just kind of like this, this whole, um, uh, um, I would say, sense of overwhelm and emotions that just um, as much as I was trying to suppress and say, well, this is what life is. You're always gonna have these competing needs and, and you're always gonna feel torn. I, I really wasn't addressing them properly. Um, and so ultimately, it just led to more and more anxiety and, and more and more of a depressed mood because how can you feel joy and how can you feel the rewards of all the amazing things that are happening if you're so torn inside and not really addressing these things. And then of course I felt incredibly guilty for feeling that way on top of everything else and very judgmental of myself because, uh, you know, how could I, um, a mom of these two beautiful children, um, a wife. A doctor, what what is there to complain about? How could I possibly have anything? you know, and so I think that working through that guilt and all of those emotions kind of again really started to help me see the other you know the other side and and what kind of the that turning point because I think we all have our turning points in our lives or in conditions that we have or symptoms or Um, or professional trajectories, whatever it is, that turning point really happened when I I was already kind of, I I had known about Dr. Andrew Weil and about the Integrative Medicine Center at the University of Arizona, where I subsequently completed my Integrative Medicine Fellowship. It was kind of, you know, reading some articles and looking him up, and I saw that he was giving a talk at the Chopra Center um, at a meditation, at a four-day meditation retreat. Um, that was rooted in Ayurveda and Ayurvedic practices. Now, at the time, keep in mind, I had no idea what Ayurveda was. And and for listeners that may not know, it's um, it's a system of healing that originated from India that's uh, over 5,000 years old. Very intuitive, very interesting how we can combine that with some of the modern modalities and some of the other systems of healing to really um, help people understand their conditions and adapt to their imbalances. But anyways... I thought, okay, well, this sounds like something that 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 might work. Um, I had never meditated before. I would never done any of this, and I signed up for this four-day meditation retreat with a friend of mine, and it was a completely transformative experience. Um, my first meditation—I just started this. It was a huge release. Um, when I got my mantra, it just tears started going down, and I kept saying the mantra over and over and over again. And, um, and being able to, even though it was a very short period of time, but carve out a little bit of time to just focus on what's happening inside without judgment and by being very present with myself, um, it just resulted in this complete transformation of how I saw my circumstances myself, my patients, really most importantly for my profession, my patients it completely transformed the relationships that I had with my patients from that point forward. And it also changed for me how I saw myself as a, as a mom and, 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 um, and in, in just relating to people that are close to me. And from that point, even though I didn't really know exactly how or when, I knew that my professional trajectory was changing. And I knew that while I celebrated everything that was part of my training and wanted to maintain that, I also knew that I needed more, that it just was not enough. And it felt incredibly empowering. It gave me that hope. And I think that that hope was that first step in me me helping really myself discover what I really wanted. In these Chopra Center meditations, actually, the way they start, and we can kind of get into meditation and mindfulness-based stress reduction a little bit more and kind of geek out on the studies later, if you want. Um, But I remember um, the questions were, who am I? What do I want? And what is my purpose? And each time, the answer to that can be different. And it's not meant to, um, again, bring out this, this judgy side, but to really challenge in a more spiritual, holistic way. Well, who am I really? We, we all have multiple roles, but we also identify with certain things. Well, we know that we certainly shouldn't identify with our illness. We may be a person that struggled with that or a person that has this but we're not our illness we're not our profession even we're not our one singular role the single most important role that we have in life we're so 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 much more than that and i think that recognizing and and truly believing that and then starting to think about the purpose at a greater level rather than it being so micro for me for instance as in my purpose is to be a primary care physician and do this. It really was, my purpose is to help people heal. And at that point, again, I didn't know how I was gonna change that trajectory or what exactly I was gonna do, but I knew that whatever I did to help people heal, that I was following my purpose. So whether it was my patients, my family members, my loved ones, my friends, that that was my purpose. And as long as I live every single day in that purpose, that that brought that sense of joy. So that was kind of just to share like that that turning point and that pivot. And and then from then on to continue the story, I completed the Integrative Medicine Fellowship Program, which again was another professionally altering experience. Um, Met some wonderful, wonderful physicians and practitioners and um, subsequently started my path with the Institute of Functional Medicine and their training modules, Um, have worked with a number of incredible mentors, and really most importantly, have been open to learning so much more from my patients. Because ultimately, every every patient that comes in, every person that comes in through the the door, they're the experts in their condition. Their, Their body is not reading a textbook. Um, so yes, it's my job to offer the evidence-based tools. It's my job to do no harm. It's my job to educate them and empower them about what we do know is happening to identify the triggers, but they are still the expert. And I think that recognizing that and having, and having patience with the process, again, just completely transformed the way that I, um, the way, the way that I saw my role and the way that I saw my contribution. And I think the value of that contribution.
0: It's wonderful to hear uh, about the, the, the genuine shift in perception of care, who you are mm-hmm. as a doctor and who patients are as people. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then therefore transferring, um, or I guess going through a transformation, as you said, um, mm-hmm personally and professionally, and then kind of bestowing that on your patients, um, I would say. Uh, something you said at the beginning, um, hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wrote <laughs> in my notes, I wrote it in big letters and <laughs> underlined it. I don't know why. not like I would forget that word, uh, but it just really stood out to me because I think that's, that's something we all long for, whether that be because of our chronic conditions or just in life. Um, we all mm-hmm. have moments where we really hope for something and hope is what keeps the door open uh, yes. to, to possibility. And, mm-hmm. um, and it's something we should all have, hopefully, and, and I guess we should try as much as possible, with a positive um, air around it, rather than like hope like hope because I can't imagine anything worse. I don't know Mm -hmm. if I'm saying that correctly. Uh, and yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so really thank you for talking about that, uh, in relation to yourself as, as well as what you, what you want to do for your patients, because we really, we really need that (laughs) knowing and knowing that, uh, practitioners like yourself really feel that way, making sure it's conveyed to the patient Mm
2: -hmm. um,
1: that it's that, uh, it's there for them. Uh, and I think a lot of the time, you know, what's, what's really interesting is that um, what I've observed in myself and my colleagues is that we go into medicine because a lot of, like, a lot of our personalities are very OCD, and we want to know everything and understand everything and, and master it and figure it out and give answers. And so when we don't find those answers, it's really, like, it, it, it's smart like, it, it, it kind of, there's this discrepancy because we're not accepting of it. And so a lot of the times what I will hear, and I'm sure that I have done the same thing again before my eyes opened to possibilities and to, is that, okay, well, you know, your blood work, is normal, your imaging studies are normal or whatever workup we might've done. So everything seems fine <laughs> and the patient's sitting there, but I'm not fine. <laughs> and so, so, it's, it's it's really interesting because I think that when we know, when we have the answer and we know that what the cure is, then okay, there's hope, there's a clear path. And when the situation or the condition is a bit more challenging and it requires more patience and it requires multiple modalities and it requires us to admit that modern medicine just hasn't figured it out yet. We just don't understand. And it doesn't mean that everything is okay It just means that these labs that we ran look good, but we don't understand what is triggering these symptoms. And that means we need to look deeper and do the best that we can. I think that's when a lot of people, rather than than really focusing on what we can do and understanding that that patients and trial and error might need to be done, let's say with elimination diet. That's what elimination diet is. We try something for four to six weeks or a certain period of time, and then we try to identify, well, what are the triggers there in that um, of the ones that we've eliminated and we slowly start reintroducing them. And so I think that hope lies in that, in knowing that, okay, there are options, even though we don't understand everything. And in medicine, again, we it's we haven't quite been seen that way, but also... It's, it's one of those self-selecting um, properties where we go into medicine because we want all the answers and we want to know it all. So, so I do think that recognizing limitations, but recognizing that also there's so much out there that we need to be open to, and as long as it doesn't do any harm, and as long as there's some evidence that's, that's valuable and legitimate, let's go ahead and try it. Um, and I think that could really change that, that feeling and that, that opening and that hope in people rather than saying, okay, everything looks fine. I don't, I don't know what else to do. This is it. And, and then the patient goes home and they're like, well, nobody's listening to me. Um, nobody understands what I'm going through, um, and and there's nothing they can do. So how can you have hope if th- those th- those are the messages that you're hearing, right?
0: Oh yeah, uh, I think anyone with a chronic illness listening to this podcast has heard one or all of those at some mm-hmm. point. Right. Oh, I have. Uh, mm-hmm. Even if they're a wonderful doctor, um, mm-hmm. some of them, some of them don't investigate. It, now, admitting when you don't know is important, and in fact, I love doctors that say that to me mm-hmm. um, rather than be like, "There is nothing," or or wrongly diagnosed me, like I'll still ne- never get over, and I won't mention their name, mm-hmm. a doctor mm-hmm. that twice, because I didn't realize I was seeing them years apart, <laughs> I, was, mm-hmm. I was referred twice to a doctor on Park Ave, who's like well-known for being really good, I think for surgeries, because they were a rheumatologist. Mm-hmm. Um, he diagnosed me with runner's knee twice, mm-hmm. and each time, and I'm like ready with my story when I walk in, and I'm mm-hmm. like, I get it's a seven minute visit, I'm gonna rock this, and it's like, yeah. <laughs> you don't understand in the slightest, and you don't care to understand. Yeah. Uh, and so, I, I, you know, we talked about this a little bit before. Uh, it's not good to say, um, "Well, put them in categories of good doctor, bad doctor," right. like way too black and white. Um, uh, but it and but they're also different kinds of doctors, yeah. right? It really, and you and that's, I mean, that's actually part of wellacopia is that mm-hmm. it's. Yeah. Not like going through your insurance or location, just because you all learned the same thing pretty much in medical school, you're Mm. still different people. You have a different outlook, a different approach to care, different personalities. You Mm. are different human beings, just like we're different human beings.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And that, I think that that relationship and that fit is very, very important because we know that outcomes do vary depending on the provider or doctor-patient relationship, and that you can achieve better outcomes if there's a better fit before, between the practitioner and the patient. Um, and, you know, of course, we have to consider trust and establishing that. And, and if a doctor is not, if you feel that your doctor isn't even listening to your story, how can you possibly trust them? They could be the best specialist, and they could be doing great work in maybe other areas, but if you feel that there's no connection there's no listening how can how can there be trust and so that automatically then kind of downgrades that patient's experience and that sense of hope as well as that ability to really heal if you're working with a practitioner that just where, where there's just that disconnect and also knowing that the doctor is committed to giving you the answers you know any 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 doctor that that's you know um Kind of like well, well, I know it all. There's no evidence, and there's no that should raise a little bit of a flag, you know. And so what, what I find, and, and I'm you know part of these um, networks of doctors where we discuss complex cases and where we give each other advice. I think that any um, you know doctor that that you're seeing, and that for instance that I see, I think that one of one of the questions that um, that you had asked earlier was you know how do you um how do you choose your own doctor well knowing that they're that they're very active in their community that they're constantly that they're continuing their education that they're constantly um uh, learning from other doctors that they're looking up research articles that they're going to conferences i think that that's extremely extremely important in knowing that your doctor is growing too and your doctor is Going to look up answers that he or he may not have answers to, um, I think that that's just and again that helps also build trust and hope because you know they're going to be your advocate you know that they're committed to your care.
0: Yeah, first of all, thanks for basically just totally validating Willcobia's mission <laughs> that's always nice. Um, And I don't know if you want to move into this now, but uh, Mm -hmm. I think that's really a great segue into someone we both know very well in very different ways, and that's um, Dr. Cowan. Dr. Cowan. I don't know if any of you out there heard of him. He's become quite well known. Um, uh, But he is a doctor that, thanks to his detective skills Mm -hmm. and commitment to to needing to know the answers, um, when things are a little off track. Um, he probably saved my sister's life. Um, Mm -hmm. but are, would you like to talk about your experience?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So Dr. Cowan, said he's a developmental pediatrician and, um, he is, um, the way that, that I met him actually is Dr. Frank Lipman, uh, recommended him. And we had this, because my daughter is suffering from anxiety and selective mutism so of course you know we went the traditional route in terms of some um sort of um in school type of therapy interventions and um and another intervention um called pcit um that that has to do with uh, Kind of the way that parent and child are interacting, um, and and really providing small rewards for certain behaviors and um, incentivizing the child to learn um, certain behaviors that are that are good in a sense. So, for a child with anxiety, let's say, in selective mutism, being able to produce speech in situations that are anxiety provoking. And for my daughter, do- in my daughter's case, she was completely mute in school um, until last fall, actually, and. Whereas on play dates, at home, wherever else we went, she was her bubbly, chatterbox self, but at school completely mute to the point where we didn't know if we could keep her at the school that she was at, um, where we just really kind of felt that we weren't very much supported um, because of her condition. And, um, and we were told many times, you should consider medications. And again, not to villainize medications, because they can be very important. But in this particular case, we didn't feel that they were necessary. And we felt that there were more interventions that needed to be tried before we went down that route. And so what happened was we, she had worked with a, what we call a brave buddy. So for anyone out there that's uh, familiar with selective mutism, um, Typically, children with selective mutism don't speak in certain environments that cause anxiety. Sometimes that could be even going out of the house. They may just become completely mute. For other children, it might be only speaking with, they only don't speak to adults. or Or for many kids, it can be the school setting. And... Um, and so we had a brave buddy that would be with her during certain um, times at school that would help to encourage speech and, and kind of coach on tiny, tiny little steps. And again, we'll get back to the little steps later, because I think that applies to so many different conditions and approaches, because it's really in those baby steps that you achieve these giant leaps, because there's no way that anyone could tell my daughter, um, okay, Olivia, if you raise your hand in front of the classroom and say Answer to you know I don't know um, 17 plus five um, you're gonna get a prize or you're gonna get this There's no way w- that she would ever do that but if you say Hey Olivia if we go and quietly go up to this teacher and tell her the answer for 17 plus five um, let's try that and then you're gonna get and then you like tiny 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 steps and so eventually through these interventions she actually started to produce speech. Um, and around this time is when we met Dr. Cowan and one of the things that other than the fact that he does magic tricks uh, for children in his office, which definitely um, helps in, in trust building, because I think for kids really it's, it's difficult to trust a, a, a strange adult that they see maybe once a month and, and that is kind of asking and evaluating and asking all these questions to the parent and to the child. Um, so he started with magic tricks. And Olivia just immediately kind of eased into the the whole thing, and she was like, "I've got this," and she was chatting with him the whole time, and I just knew that he brought her into this parasympathetic dominant state because again, selective mutism, anxiety, you're sympathetic nervous system driven you're in your fight or flight, you're fighting that tiger, and that is just how we're wired that is that is just what um what we're I don't want to say stuck with, but what we're gifted in yeah,
2: this way. Like
1: <laughs> so we have to work with it, right? We have to work with what we have. And she was in that fight or flight a lot of the time. Well, he completely was able to say, to kind of, um, you know, hijack that, that sympathetic nervous system and say, you know, I've got just the thing for you. She went into her parasympathetic and was openly able to talk and able to engage with him and so on. And one of the things that we did with him, so he is a traditionally trained pediatrician, but he also has training in traditional Chinese medicine. Um, And as some might know, in Chinese medicine, we have these five elements through which the qi, the energy flows. And he gave a questionnaire um, to us to determine which elements might be dominant in Olivia that could help us better understand Olivia. Uh, And so she turned out to be, earth and fire those were her dominant ones and some of those characteristics have to do with you know uh like sometimes having certain amplified physical symptoms like a lot of stomach aches um that again that functional abdominal pain that the doctor says you're fine (laughs) but she really would have disabling stomach aches um other things would be again anxiety um kind of difficulty trusting certain situations or people and basically feeling that you're in um, kind of like not safe in the world, unfortunately. And again, it could have been those very, very long hours and and nights that I was working and my cortisol levels when, when I was pregnant with her, but who knows. But you know, just just feeling that, um, that, that there, there's no sense of safety. And so in this case, um, understanding, okay, well, what are my main you know elements in this case that guide me and and what are my predispositions I And mean, i think for olivia intuitively this just sort of made sense to her she was like yeah mommy i'm an earth and fire child you know and like this is what i am and this is why i act this way and this is what i'm gonna do to like help me with this element and to help me with that it just spoke to her the other thing that he did that actually I'm i'm planning to post something on this in more detail but he, and I would known about heart math for a very, very long time, but I hadn't used it until we walked into Dr. Cowan's office. Something I would highly, highly, highly recommend um, for anyone with symptoms of anxiety, um, panic attacks, um, any sort of um, mood symptoms that have been difficult to regulate as well as um, even high blood pressure actually.
0: Sorry, what was that again? Heart?
1: heart math. It's called Heart math. So the app is the app is called um, so it's a Inner Balance Heart math, and what it is, it's a biofeedback tool. So you actually download the app for free on your phone, and then you purchase this um, little sensor that actually just goes on your earlobe uh, that detects your heart rate, and you plug in the sensor literally into your iPhone when the app is on. And what that does is it feeds your heart rate to the phone, to the app. And what the app does is it has a visual cue for this kind of um, circular, colorful shape um, that constricts and, um, and expands. So when it constricts, you're supposed to exhale. When it expands, you inhale. And you follow that shape. And if there's um, good, uh, um, you know, match up between what you're doing and, and what the visual cues are, you're going to get into a state of very good heart rate variability. So you're going to see a little um, graph actually on the app that shows you your heart rate um, at various points in time. And generally, again, parasympathetic nervous system activation and being in that state of healing, getting more blood flow to the gut, being in that more rest or digest state um in part heart rate variability is is what predicts that and what tells us that oh yeah look you're in that good state Um, so usually what i see with myself or with my daughter or patients that i give this to usually you know it's not uncommon to start with a heart rate of you know 100 and you know or even even higher than 100 if you're just kind of a little bit in that stressed out state well, by the end of the session, and by the way, the session can be five minutes, it can be 30 minutes, You could be on the app as long as you want. And there are benefits, I say to people, even five minutes, if you can do five minutes a day, better than nothing. Um, but even after five minutes, you see that the heart rate has gone down nicely, and then you're getting that nice heart rate variability. So let's say the heart rate goes between um, 50 and 75 beats a minute in a nice, beautiful sinusoid wave. Um, so, so Dr. Cowan really kind of reintroduced me to that. And and showed me how easy it was that we started using it and i started using it for myself and i love um showing it to my patients because then they really get to see it's this immediate biofeedback where you see okay what i'm doing and changing my breathing pattern and taking these deep slow breaths is actually affecting my heart i'm affecting my physiology by literally just paying attention to my breathing which can be extremely powerful because oftentimes when we feel in that helpless, hopeless state, we don't feel that we have any kind of control over our physiology, but we do.
0: Yeah. That really goes back to um, baby steps. Yes. You're talking about, and I, and I do talk about this with others uh, on the podcast uh, Mm -hmm. that I know a lot of us are in, you can say that fight or flight state with, um, with just how we feel about our illnesses. It's like yes. so acute it, for this chronic illness, it's an acute
2: mm-hmm. um
0: pain that's going on um that you know you don't you don't know when it's gonna end and so it's very hard to think of the baby steps mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. I won't get into it now, but I've been having a lot a a lot of discussions with people with chronic illnesses about the mm-hmm. um we'll say the opioid crisis yes. and yeah that's that's a whole big topic oh, but um, but just how a lot of people have been saying in these Facebook groups I'm part of and run that um, they're being denied, one, because they might be seen as pill poppers, but it's terrible. Um, yeah. But it, they really just want to say that there are times where we're going to need opioids of some sort mm-hmm. to, function at all but that doesn't mean that they don't want to take care of themselves in these baby exactly. steps ways exactly exactly like like you said medications are not necessarily the villain i personally think as much as possible you should avoid them but you definitely right. like shouldn't necessarily
1: sometimes you can't and sometimes for a short term as long as you're looking for that root cause um it can be very helpful i mean for um you know even just looking at you know Uh, thyroid problems, with hypothyroidism. Well, if your thyroid is extremely underactive, it would be very difficult to say no to, you know, being treated with levothyroxine, with thyroid hormone, to help correct that while you're also trying to understand what caused this autoimmune process. Am I deficient in any of the nutrients? How can I work to manage my stress, but still take the levothyroxine and don't avoid the problem and still get your energy up, with the levothyroxine and avoid some of the other symptoms of hypothyroidism so that you can then with a clear mind kind of work on the triggers and hopefully make sure that you know you're addressing those as much as possible or even medications for hypertension of course we don't want to go to medications right away but if someone's blood pressure is extremely high and putting a strain on the heart yes let's work on diet let's work on exercise let's work on stress reduction extremely, extremely important or nutrient supplementation. But let's also make sure that we're not going to cause excessive strain on the heart, heart failure, other complications, um, because we haven't addressed the problem because we're so avoidant. So, uh, you know, my, my motto has always been lifestyle, nutrition, the, you know, pillars of health first, but hey, let's use these other great tools that are available if we really need them.
0: Yeah, that's definitely always been my perspective. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what um, integrative medicine is, right? Mm-hmm. It's integrating, yes. um, you could say Western and Eastern or yeah. standard or allopathic and holistic, um, that neither one is right or wrong, but the combination of the two, although, you know, if you can go oh naturel, that's awesome. Of <laughs> it also saves okay. you money.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, exactly. And yeah. prevention really, and that's why prevention really is the key. Yeah being aware of what habits might you have now that down the road could cause problems um, and working on them now rather than waiting for them to pop up and then seeking those options.
0: Yeah, and I know that that's actually, um, so going back to Dr. Cowan, his interact, like my experience with him was actually very, well, there's two sides. There's this one I really want to talk about his idea of functional medicine um, and developmental care for pediatrics, but also going back to, I I should have him on the show, really. I I should reach out to him. He doesn't know that I still think about him since I was a child. Um, But just to put it in a context, um, he was my pediatrician and he was uh, just great coincidence. Um, He was my pediatrician. He was a standard pediatrician. Uh, My mom reminded me earlier, I spoke to her, that he was maybe 30 years old like we just started right so similar to you i i i'm assuming and like i'd like to talk to him that he had somewhat of a similar journey to you Mm -hmm. which is like you went through the system you knew there was always something that needed to be tweaked um Mm -hmm. and and you should look at medicine um maybe in also an alternative way Um, but he the way he handled that at the time i mean there were two different ways One, um, my sister was diagnosed with cat scratch fever, um, which maybe you can explain. I always kind of said, to to hurry it up, it's a little like rabies, (laughs) but it's not exactly, it's not rabies.
1: It's Um, a bacterial infection, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: So the very, very rare thing that uh, he discovered was that it wasn't bacterial, it Mm -hmm. wasn't viral, it Mm -hmm. was fungal and she is the first case on record with fungal stretch fever Um, he actually asked my mom if he could write a paper on it in the new england journal of science medicine oh thank you yeah i'm not sure if he did actually (laughs) i should look that up but i know that he asked about that and the wonderful thing about his uh, involvement in this journey was that my sister had three operations she was supposed to have one wow Uh, Uh, And it was in her neck. So we discovered it because she had a big lump in her neck. She spent her first birthday in hospital uh, for this reason. And he, because he was, he's a general pediatrician, or was very much general at that time, he couldn't do the surgery and he couldn't get more in depth, but he would make recommendations. And, you know, to be honest about something is he made a recommendation, uh, for a doctor that actually really messed my sister up Mm. and, um, he was like apparently heartbroken and he took a little responsibility for that. And that's, you know, he heard he was great for the reasons, but, um, because of that, Dr. Cowan, um, made sure that he investigated as far as humanly possible and would not rest until, um, she was okay. And, uh, you know, they found out everything they needed to about this case. And, mm-hmm. um, like, I, I don't know. I just remember that he was there for her. Like mm-hmm. she was that detective.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: She, my mother Hope who was freaking the fuck out. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, my sister doesn't have a trapezius oh, on her right side anymore. It's like a, it's a sinew. For those who don't know, your trapezius muscle is the largest muscle in your back. And it goes from like your shoulder all the way down your, your mid, back so that's
1: how big her surgery was yeah
0: her surgery well her surgery was just in her neck but mm-hmm. that surgeon messed up um cut the nerves i guess oh. I the details of this to her trapezius mm-hmm. um and actually through ballet my sister was able to build up all the muscles abnormally around there so she's actually even in uh, mm-hmm. her shoulder she was not she was like Loop. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Lancy, um but uh, yeah, it just, it meant the world to us that he was there. He was-
1: He was committed. He was yeah, so
0: committed. He is a perfect example of the kind of practitioners that we bring on to Wellacopia because mm-hmm. they are they are part of the journey and they care even if it's outside of their care. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I'm so thankful for him. And clearly yeah. you're very thankful Yes, for him. very much, yes. Yeah, he's changed your daughter's life in a way where he looked outside the box
1: yeah. um, uh,
0: and it's it's, oh, it's beautiful uh, having having people like you support us um, so so thanks Dr.
1: Cowan yes.
0: <laughs> I got we gotta send this hey, him
1: yes <laughs> uh, yeah and um, we're gonna see him in follow-up actually I'll tell him that all um, right about him yes
0: yeah. <laughs> My original name was Reichenberg. You might remember it by that. But that's not my last name anymore. Um, so yes, Dr. Young. That was uh, wonderful. Um, actually, I would love to ask you about your involvement in nutrition because uh, I've looked at your website and your social media, and you are very proactive um, mm-hmm. in uh, advocating for nutrition and even putting up a lot of recipes
1: yes <laughs> um yeah so it's interesting i as as i'm sure you know in traditional medical education we don't get a whole lot of uh nutrition training and uh that's hopefully changing but um, i really kind of learned more about nutrition through well one through my family through just growing up and and the way that I grew up in Serbia really was um there were farmers farmers markets every day in um Belgrade where I lived and I would go with my grandma when I was very very little we would go to the farmers market and then sample fruit and veggies and feta cheese and you know and be like oh this is good let's get you know 500 um grams of that and let's get this and we actually like really like we talked to the farmers that that you know um Uh, that that made this food possible for us and my grandma would cook everything from scratch. And I think that was my, even though I obviously didn't realize it at the time, but it was interesting, you know, moving to, um, to Canada first and then the U S but to Canada, really first from Serbia. I had no idea, you know, in Belgrade at the time we didn't have a whole lot of process. We had some, but there were maybe like three brands and everything else was, Food from scratch and there really weren't a whole lot of options there was a lot of bread but other than that there weren't a whole lot of packaged goods it really was just food that your that your grandma or your mom makes and and I think that those really were kind of my fundamentals and my basics Um, again without really realizing it because then when I moved over time I was able to keep some of that. And then there were times that my diet sort of changed and didn't feel so great. And then I, and then I kind of got back on track. Um, but then after kind of as part of this journey, um, I think to kind of build onto my, um, to this kind of naturally learned and, and, and observed kind of way of cooking and preparing food it really was my integrative medicine fellowship, functional medicine, and just learning more about how different nutrients specifically affect our body and disease processes. Not only in extreme situations, of course, in medical school, you learn about extreme situations where, um, you know, you have to treat right away and somebody is, let's say, B12 deficient and they're having neuropathy already and, you know... Um, but also dealing with the subtleties and making sure that you know our body has a great way of keeping things in balance. But if we're not consuming enough nutrients, and now with the soil, de- you know, with the um, with the um, soils that that just are depleted of nutrients, um, it's getting harder and harder. Also, a lot of people might have an issue with absorption. So we have to be mindful of yes, our body has amazing much more sophisticated mechanisms of keeping things in balance that we could ever understand but sometimes our body still needs help because of these environmental things that are happening now and because of um gut problems that that a lot of uh people experience um so i think that that really shaped and then and working closely with nutritionists and health coaches um and and learning more about you know the whole kind of habit change piece of everything, because I think that in my current practice, I would say I probably see many more people who are already very, very much driven and committed to changing their habits if it's going to help with their symptoms. So I don't necessarily have to do the extra motivational type of work. Um, but it's so common. I mean, even in even in in just the day to day of how our schools are feeding our kids, and um, you know the girls. I mean, I I love the the idea of Girl Scouts, and my my daughter is a Girl Scout. The idea of Girl Scouts is amazing and everything. But Girl Scout cookies. To read the ingredients on that, and and so just just kind of um, I think as a mom, and as a physician, and as someone who grew up in a country at a time where it was just very basic foods that no one even we didn't think about calories we didn't think about um do you eat this or that it was mostly plant-based a lot of people ate meat I just never really cared much for meat um but it was mostly plant-based whole foods um and 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 balanced really where you didn't have to think about all of these different components we live in a different world now unfortunately it's very very different and we have to to take care And, and one of my missions now, just, just as a mom is to think of both creative ways of how to create, since you mentioned some of the recipes and a lot of it, like I love to bake, but I also don't bake with, you know, um, you know, the the regular flour and sugar. And, and I'm always looking to create recipes that are going to be nourishing and filled with flax seeds and hemp and chia seeds and nuts um, and all of that goodness but at the same time um, be creative with maybe what I use to sweeten it you know do I use uh, bananas do I use um, a little bit of um, I, I actually like a monk fruit sweetener and erythritol um, I like this Lacanto brand and that's that's what I use um, and uh, or do you you know find creative ways that, that children are going to adopt healthy habits despite all of this noise out there, and all of these—I mean, they're in front of my kids' school. There are these like ice cream trucks and stands, and and it just drives me crazy because um, it, it really is the path to one third of the U.S. adults having obese, having um, diabetes by 2050, and many other issues. Um, And so, so that's one of the areas that I am very passionate about and very, um, and very much motivated to make a difference because I see what it's, you know, already such a huge gap between how I grew up and and how my kids are growing up. Um, but I also just love to experiment in the kitchen and I cook with my kids. And so I love to post things that have nutritional value, but are also easy to make and, um, um, Uh, And uh, and taste good because we want to eat things that still taste good.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I actually only uh, cook vegetarian, actually, uh, really only vegan except for eggs sometimes Mm -hmm. in my house. And I'm not saying you all have to be vegan, but it has been cheaper and easier. And I love it, just putting Mm -hmm. it out there. Um, And also for those uh, spoonies out there, um, I know that a lot of you have issues with being able to cook because you're in too much pain or you don't have or you're fatigued um but first of all if you do have someone a support system um Mm -hmm. never um feel bad about asking for that for that help um to cook for you and you can be vocal about what you want cooked and that can be something simple and healthy Mm -hmm. i'm happy and i'm sure dr boyana is happy to give some advice on that if you want um But also when you have those spoons, that energy, those moments where you do, um, I do highly recommend using that time when you can to cook a lot Um, and or just like a large amount of something and putting it away in the freezer. I do that all the time now.
2: Mm -hmm. I do it like
0: once a week, also because my husband doesn't make any food. That's a whole other issue. (laughs) Um, uh, But yes. My personal advice, worth the spoons, even if that's what you do that day. It will be better for the rest of the week. Or,
1: yeah. Absolutely. And you'll be able to nourish yourself, which is yeah. then going to create positive results. Absolutely. I love batch cooking. Yeah.
0: And to defrost, um, there's a few ways to do it, some better than others. You could just leave it in the fridge overnight. You could. I actually, to do it faster sometimes is I'll get a bowl of just like warm water
2: and yeah. use it
0: like, floating that container for half an hour, and then it's fine. I was like, awesome. I didn't even put it in the microwave. <laughs> so that's great. Um, I actually, I wasn't planning on bringing this up, and I know we have to kind of wrap up, but I want to talk about it because it's a sensitive topic that's mm-hmm. been coming up on a lot of the Facebook groups that, uh, that I speak on, or I, that I'm part of. Um, some doctors. Uh, maybe a lot of doctors will say to people with these chronic illnesses and I'm uh, mostly involved with people with fibromyalgia so I guess mm-hmm. let's just say for fibromyalgia uh, they recommend that they should lose weight and they won't have pain anymore and someone this past week even did a um, a poll asking what everyone's weight is or like what r- weight oh, range they're, and if they're mm-hmm. un- or rather if they're underweight overweight obese yeah whatever, normal weight, um, and yeah, people were really up in arms, because they're like, yeah, they told me this as well, uh, mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, a normal weight, I'm a normal weight, um, mm-hmm. yeah, and um, I decided to chime in, and mm-hmm. I was like, look, I completely understand the frustration by that, and I, oh, sorry, and a lot of them said, I lost weight, and it didn't change anything, oh, a lot of them said that, mm-hmm. yeah, and I was like, look, that. Is absolutely valid because it is not just a weight thing Mm -hmm. Um, but the thing with fibromyalgia and a lot of chronic illnesses is that we don't know what the cause is or or also what could help and there are countless stories of how nutrition and probably therefore weight loss can help diminish symptoms sometimes even put people in I guess you could say remission I happen to be one of those people which is why I I luckily don't need to see much in the way of practitioners right now. And I'm not on medication. I'm a nutritionist and I'm not perfect by any means, but I know (laughs) I don't eat well. And it's not like I'm without pain. Um, but when I don't eat well,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: weight things are worse. Yeah. Absolutely. And so I just want to put it out there for everyone. And I would love to hear Mm -hmm. what you have to say about this, that in my opinion, um, if you are overweight, obviously not if you if you don't need to lose weight, do not lose weight. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. or if it would be unhealthy for you too. But it may be something that helps, but it's not losing weight. It's eating what's right for your body. Like, yeah. you, like you were saying. Um, but yeah, I totally get it if people are pissed when a doctor is like,
1: just lose weight, you'll be fine. Wait, you'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. yeah, no, I'm sure There's there's nothing more frustrating than that. I think that. Well it's interesting you mentioned that actually, and, and we hadn't spoken about this um, uh, you and I before we started recording, but uh, I definitely i mean I can say as a you know person with no fibromyalgia, I have joint aches if I eat excess sugar, if I eat excess gluten i my body notices it, so I can only imagine how much these symptoms can be amplified in someone who has fibromyalgia oh, yeah. um, again I don't know of specific studies looking at weight loss and fibromyalgia or specific diets and fibromyalgia. But what I tell most of my patients, and I really work, so part of it is really kind of as as a as a physician, meeting people where they are. And then the other piece is talking about, okay, well, if we don't change things, how do you think you're gonna feel? Versus if we do change things, what are what are your hopes or or your goals or or what do you think is going to happen. So, if we talk about any sort of dietary changes, um, again, depending on where somebody is starting, they could already be having a very clean diet, and then we might have to, to tap into. Okay, well, it's probably not your diet. There still could be something that's irritating that we just don't know. But then we also look at. Well, let's let's look at stress. Let's look at the, your kind of emotional landscape and your environment and um or other toxins that you might be exposed to. Um, but when it comes to nutrition itself, I generally um recommend that people eat a plant-based diet. Doesn't necessarily have to be a vegan diet. Um, and if they are eating meat, um, make sure that it's well sourced meat um, or fish and um and no sugar. I mean I think just cutting out sugar completely. Yay. For some people it helps to cut out gluten. Um, for other people, it helps to cut out grains completely. So I do we do sometimes we'll do elimination diet protocols that slightly vary, and then we'll remove some of the usual suspects. Um sometimes we'll do an autoimmune protocol um, where there, where other food groups are eliminated. But I will say that I'm very cautious about eliminating too many food groups because then again, we might run into the issue of nutrient deficiency. Um, and so on. So these protocols, we really monitor patients over a period of time. um, And then again, slowly start to reintroduce certain foods. um, And then the foods that are kind of no brainers, um, we just want to eliminate them for good. So whether it's sugar, alcohol, again, for some people, it could be gluten. For some people, it could be with arthritis, this is really more kind of for inflammatory arthritis, but nightshades. Some people might be irritated by nightshades. For other people, it may not make a difference. So again, a lot of this is, as I kind of stated earlier, a little bit of trial and error because it's really the person with the condition that's an expert at their body. And then there are certain things that we want to remove or at least minimize. You know, remove dairy, remove sugar, um, remove gluten. See how you feel with these things. Some people might need to remove soy. Um, See how you feel with these things and then experiment and slowly start to add Certain things back, but not the not the sugar definitely.
0: <laughs> yeah, actually, I recently went through something kind of bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I realized that for like at least a month, I was having a lot more, to be honest, gas. My mm-hmm. but like my air was filling up with mm-hmm. uh, sorry my belly was filling up with air and it was very painful. You know, distension, um, and I didn't know why it was getting worse. And then at Passover, actually, um, like a couple months ago, uh, a part of the ritual is that you eat a bitter herb and they didn't have any. So they gave us onions and I ate a bite of an onion and immediately started to fill up with air. And I was like, I know what this is. This is probably a FODMAP issue, which really sucks, by the Mm -hmm. way. And that's like, um, are you on a low FODMAP diet now? So I'll explain, so this is really bizarre. Um, so low FODMAPs, first of all, FODMAPs, how do I explain them? They're um, different kinds of sugars, like fermentable sugars, like oligo and di-monosaccharides. And, monosaccharides, um, and um, like they can be really nutritious foods, but the the fermentation process uh, can be, can really be very sensitive to your digestive system. So that yeah. could be like cabbage and, and onions and exactly. garlic, and like mostly vegan, how is this going to work? this gonna work? Right. Um, and then I, I think I started to notice I had things by accident in those and didn't get reactions. So I did a huge elimination and I was like, this is bad because you talked about nutrient deficiencies, low FODMAP mm-hmm. diets because it takes out actually like a lot of healthy things. It does, yeah. And uh, be kind of dangerous. And then long story short, somehow we whittled down what it was and I couldn't believe what it was it's apples. Yeah. I was astonished. <laughs> and I love apples and every single morning, it's the only thing I like always eat or at least during the week is I make oatmeal um, mm-hmm. and with almond milk and cheese seeds and I stew apples every, um, every Sunday, which by the way, is like super easy if other people want to do it, it happened to not be good for me. Um, and I just stopped using apples. Now I use like blueberries. And I don't have the yeah. issue anymore. I was
1: like, You're able to identify the one thing without removing everything from your yeah. diet. And yeah.
0: So I thought about like, what do I eat a lot of like mm-hmm. every day that I think is good for me? Um, and then that's how I did it. Anyway, it's is an anecdote yeah. of how like, you never know.
1: <laughs> yes, it's true. It's true. You know, yeah. but, and there might be a time that you could reintroduce the apples, you know, down yeah. the road. But yeah. Well,
0: things change. I mean, yeah. I've had apples my whole life. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big Apple fan. So yeah. bizarre. Um. Anyway, we do have to wrap up. I don't want to. Um, <laughs> there's so many things I feel like we didn't even talk about, and and you know that could always mean we do an additional. Yes. Um, <laughs> but uh, I would like to end with. I guess the main message, if you could, if you can find one <laughs> main message <laughs> to to leave everyone with. Mm-hmm.
1: Um. Yeah. yeah sure. Um. Uh, so. I would I would say, and I would really kind of go back to that, um, to talking about critical points in our lives, and talking about transformative experiences, and and that going from from that state of of hopelessness to hope. Um, One of the things that I think makes a big difference to people is knowing that although there are a number of factors we can't control, there are some things that we can control. And whether this is through mindfulness-based stress reduction, through another form of meditation practice, through therapy, through EFT tapping, there are so many modalities that I wish we had like more time to actually dive deeper into and talk about acupuncture. Um, But but whatever the modality is, self-examination, talking to friends, journaling, whatever the modality is, I think that looking within, relating to yourself, and and knowing that no matter what, I can rely on myself, and there are things that I can control, and there are things that I um, absolutely have full control over, even though there are many aspects over there. Um, that I just simply cannot exert influence over. And even those things that are beyond my control, I completely control how I respond to them. And I think that's a big thing, again, when we talk about any really condition. We know that um, the majority of conditions are in one way or another related to stress. And I remember that before, again, before going into Integrative and functional medicine. When I really was seeing just such a broad kind of spectrum of people with a number of different conditions, ranging in different levels of acuity and um, uh, and severity, I found that the the patients who kind of had the most challenging problems were the ones who still kind of needed to to kind of do a little bit more. Um, exploration into what are some of the non-physical um, elements or aspects of their experience or their condition. So I would just kind of leave with that because I think it's it's important that we address it as physicians or other providers. And I think that for patients, when we all go into our doctor's offices or our chiropractors or our therapists, to keep in mind that it's really, there. there's Yes, externally, there are a lot of factors that can help us heal, but we are really the ones where it starts. We start the healing process and there's still a lot that we can do even when it seems that many things are out of control or not well understood or not being yet addressed.
0: You're speaking to my heart, (laughs) couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for sharing everything you have today. As expected, this was a <laughs> pleasure, um, and we'll be talking again soon, I'm sure. Yes. A lovely Friday. It's beautiful here. I don't know about in New York City, but it's beautiful here in
1: Rochester. It's a way. nice. It's a nice day here too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this was such a pleasure. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. All right. Thank you.
2: Bye.
1: <laughs> Bye.
0: And that's a wrap on another episode of Invisible Not Broken. Thank you guys for listening so much. I also want to thank you for something that's been happening behind the scenes. Dozens of you have been reaching out to me, whether it be through Wellacopia or off Well-O-Copia, wanting to support our mission of matching people with chronic illnesses to their ideal practitioners, whether that be providing your trusted referrals of doctors, uh, contributing unique content, uh, peer support one-on-one to new users. The fact that you guys are so interested in making sure that Wellacopia's mission comes to fruition, I cannot tell you how heartwarming it has been. It's been fueling me every day to keep going and frankly, been giving me some spoons Uh, For those of you who don't know the Spoonie Theory, I highly recommend you look it up. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, I just want to say thank you again. If you guys haven't reached out to me personally and maybe just want to get to know one another, please do. I'll leave my email and contact number in the show notes. Love you all so much. And as always, be kind, be gentle, and be friggin' badass.